This is episode 314 of the AWS podcast, released on May 26, 2019. Podcast confirmed. Welcome to the official AWS podcast. Runner. Welcome back to the AWS Podcast. Simon Leisha here with you. Great to have you back. And this is an update show, although I'm flying solo for this one because Nikki Klein is on a well-earned vacation. Let's talk developer tools. AWS X-Ray now includes analytics. Now, this is a interactive approach to analyzing your user request parts or your tracing. And this is a really useful capability to explore, analyze, and visualize your traces, find commonality, and find really what's going on in your distributed system. So really cool new capability, great blog post about it, links in the show notes to get better visibility into your environment. If you are a developer, you often are looking for tools and there is now a easy way to search in the AWS Developer Tools console. You can now find all the AWS Developer Tools in the one place. So this means you can find things quickly and get all the information you need at hand. The AWS Amplify team has been hard at work and they've now added support for incoming webhooks. So this means you can trigger builds in the console without requiring code commits. So things like Contentful, GraphCMS, et cetera, can trigger a new build on any content update. Uh, You can also support use cases like triggering a daily or weekly build using tools like Zapier. Lots of options there as well. Also, there's been a huge amount of interest in AWS Amplify. So there's now an online community that supports full stack serverless app developers. This really provides a site where you can come together and access community-generated content. And the community site is fully open source. So you can contribute blog posts, videos, sample projects, tutorials through GitHub pull requests. Uh, If you're interested in hosting an Amplify event or a meetup, you can get uh, an event starter pack. You can get AWS credits, free swag. Very, very cool. So that's at amplify.aws forward slash community is the place for that. And AWS AppSync has also had some uh, some great improvements. Firstly, there's more visibility into performance and health of GraphQL operations. So now you can get way more information about what it's doing. These can be things like uh, resolvers with large latencies, which could be the root cause of a performance issue. Could also help you identify the most and least frequently used fields in your schema. So you can say, well, what can I take away? What do I need to use a lot of? It also now supports the configuring of multiple authorization types for GraphQL APIs. So what this means is you can now get access to more information and you can have more than one authorization type simultaneously for those APIs. So for example, you can configure a single GraphQL API to deliver private and public data. You can also configure it to deliver private data using more than one authorization type. So for example, you could have it accessing some schema fields using OpenID Connect, uh, while other schema fields could be using Amazon Cognito user pools or IAM, et cetera. Lots and lots of new options there. Let's move on to storage. You may remember back at uh, AWS reInvent 2018, we announced the preview availability for S3 batch operations. Well, it is now generally available. And this is a really useful feature if you are storing billions of objects in Amazon S3. You can use a simple API request or a few clicks in the console to manage all of those objects. We find it saves people about three months of engineering time just having this capability. So lots of really useful capabilities if you're doing anything at scale using S3. This is something you should look at. AWS Snowball Edge now has a block storage for edge computing workloads. So this is really useful if you're running EC2 workloads on your AWS Snowball Edge. You can now attach multiple persistent block storage volumes for your EC2 instances. So this means you now can support both block and object storage options as well. There are different kinds of uh, block storage available. So you have the performance optimized SSD, 
You also have the NVMe SSD and the SATA SSD, depending on the model that you're using. You can also use capacity-optimized HDD volumes as well. Uh, lots of choices there. Again, links in the show notes, depending on your use case. Uh, so, for example, if you're doing something that's latency sensitive, you might choose to use so machine learning, for example. You might choose to use the performance-optimized SSD. Whereas if you're looking for more of a capacity situation, you may use the capacity-optimized option as well. Quick update for Amazon FSx for Windows File Server. It now has support for file system monitoring with Amazon CloudWatch. So what this allows you to do is to get better visibility into what's going on in your particular configuration. And a change to the AWS Storage Gateway, it now provides enhanced access control for SMB shares to store and access objects in Amazon S3 buckets. So this now means that you can use your ACLs to support SMB shares. You can use that to enforce uh, your data security standards. It also allows you to apply Windows permissions and ownerships to up to 10 access control entries. So you can do finer grained access control. I know a lot of customers use this uh, very effectively in their general environment and they wanted to make use of this as well. So this uh, update will be made available very, very soon. A number of really interesting compute updates. AWS Lambda now has support for Node.js v10. Uh, and in addition to using the Node.js v10 features, you get performance improvements in the um, v866 engine. Uh, Lambda functions written in Node.js 10 will also run on the latest generation on Amazon Linux, which is Amazon Linux 2. Lots of information in the links in the show notes about this, but this really means you get access to the most modern version of Node.js as well as the most performant way to run it in Lambda as well. Nice change for the AWS serverless application model. It now supports IAM permissions and custom responses from the Amazon API gateway using just a single property setting. So this makes it a lot easier to set it up and gets you going much faster and that's always a very nice thing. Very cool improvement to AWS Step Functions. It now adds support for workflow execution events. Now what this means, it's very much easier to now build and monitor your event-driven serverless workloads. Basically an execution event notification can be automatically delivered when a workflow starts or completes through CloudWatch events. And it can reach out to targets like AWS Lambda, SNS, Kinesis, or Step Functions itself for an automated response to that event. So this means you can really tie together some really sophisticated workflows to make your uh, situation more optimized, your application event handling more optimized and automated. And automating all the things is a good thing. We now have uh, general availability of a new storage optimized EC2 instance. This is the i3EN instance, and this is the largest non-volatile memory express or NVMe based SSD storage instance in the cloud. It is sensational. It offers up to 60 terabytes, that's right, I said 60 terabytes of low latency NVMe SSD storage and provides up to 50% lower cost per gig over i3 instances. So these are really useful for data-intensive workloads like relational and NoSQL databases, distributed file systems, search engines, data warehouse, anything that needs high random I.O. access to large amounts of data that needs to be close to the instance. Now these instances also provide up to 100 gig of network bandwidth, up to 96 vCPUs, up to 768 gigabytes of memory. You can also enable the Elastic Fabric Adapter as well so you can get low and consistent latency. And the CPU is from the Inton Xeon scalable Skylight processors with 3.1 gigahertz of sustained all-core turbo performance. It is a super powerful instance, and it's pretty remarkable that that's available to you uh, when you need it, as you need it. Currently available in US East North Virginia, US West Oregon, and Europe Island at the moment. 
if you're an Amazon EC2 user and use CloudFormation, and of course that's a very common combination that customers use, you can now do your on-demand capacity reservations using CloudFormation. Now just a reminder, on-demand capacity reservations let you reserve your Amazon EC2 capacity for any duration. You can reserve the exact capacity you need in the location you need and keep it for as long as you need it as well. Uh, and so this is really useful to build this into your automation. Now we know that security is very important to our customers and encryption is a key part of that. You can now share your encrypted AMIs across accounts to launch your instances in a single step. So the workflow is far more easy and you can still maintain security. This is really useful if you use multiple accounts and you may have an account that stores all of your sort of golden AMIs. You can now also launch an encrypted EBS backed EC2 instance from an unencrypted AMI in a single step. So what this means is you don't have to encrypt the AMI, you can just launch the instance and it's automatically running in an encrypted mode. A really useful new tool available in Amazon EKS, this is the Amazon Elastic Container Service for Kubernetes, is an automated tool for machine learning benchmarking on Kubernetes clusters. Now what this does is it simplifies the benchmarking, the performance of your Kubernetes cluster running on AWS for deep learning training and other machine learning workloads. It's an end-to-end -end benchmark workflow and it helps you figure out what makes sense depending on the different uh, framework you're using. It's uh, all available on GitHub so you can have a look at it. Great blog post as well that walks you through it, but very cool capability to get the best out of your cluster. A couple of other improvements on the Amazon EKS side, it now adds support for public IP addresses within cluster VPCs. So now you can launch and run those clusters into AWS VPCs that are running with public or non-RFC 1918 IP addresses. And there's also been a simplification of the Kubernetes cluster authentication process. In the past, it involved uh, downloading and configuring a binary file. Now it's command-driven, so much more simple workflow. If you use Amazon ECS, the console now supports ECS-optimized Amazon Linux 2 AMI and the Amazon EC2A1 instance family as well. So this is really useful if those particular uh, workloads that you're running in your ECS cluster suit the A1 instances. As an example, web servers, microservices, caching fleets, distributed data stores are all really suitable workloads for the A1 instance type. And finally, from a container-based perspective, AWS Fargate PV 1.3 now supports the Splunk log driver. So if you're a Splunk user, you can easily integrate it into your overall logging capacity when you're running your containers in AWS Fargate. Lots of cool database things to talk about. Firstly, Amazon Aurora Serverless, it now supports a capacity of one unit. So this is an Aurora capacity unit, which is basically a combination of processing and memory capacity, which ties into the sort of serverless concept. And there is now a new scaling option. So you can specify how a capacity change is applied to your DB cluster. And by default, it tries to find a point at which the capacity change is non-disruptive to your application. However, if it can't find a point in the past, it would say, well, I can't figure it out and I'll just won't apply the change. Now you can choose to apply capacity changes even when a scaling point is not found. So this lets you have a sort of uh, option in that event that it can't figure it out. Another great Aurora capability is something called the Aurora Global Database. And this is a single database that spans multiple AWS regions. This gives you low latency global reads, disaster recovery from region-wide outages and other cool stuff. It is now available for the MySQL compatible edition of Aurora in 14 AWS regions. Now the Aurora Global Database replicates writes in the primary region with a typical latency of less than one second to secondary regions. So this lets you have very low latency global reads. And in a disaster recovery situation, you can promote the secondary region to take full read write responsibilities in under a minute. So this gives you a tremendous profile for those use cases that need it. 
Uh, this is now available, as I mentioned, in 14 different regions. Links in the show notes of how you can use that. Amazon Document DB with MongoDB compatibility now supports per second billing. So this means that your instances are built in one second increments uh, with a minimum of 10 minutes. Uh, so after that 10 minute point, everything is just per second, which is uh, about as small as you want to get for a database. Number of improvements to Performance Insights. Performance Insights is a really useful database tuning and monitoring feature that lets you diagnose and solve performance issues on Amazon RDS services. And doing performance analysis on your database is always a big payoff because when you improve the performance of your database, you typically have a direct correlation to your end user performance. And also you can do some optimization from a hardware perspective to reduce your cost. So this is now generally available for Amazon Aurora MySQL 5.7. The one that's available for Amazon RDS for Oracle now includes some additional counter metrics so that you can see what's going on there. And it now also supports the Amazon Aurora Global Database. I mentioned the Global Database before where you can use performance insights on that as well. Update for Amazon Elastic Cache for Redis. It now has support for Redis 5.0.4. So it includes some bug fixes, some improvements in stability and memory management. And we always like things that improve stability in our world. A change for Amazon RDS for MySQL, it now supports password validation. So this improves the security of your databases by defining a minimum password length, required characters and other rules so you can set the right policies in place. Uh, Amazon RDS for PostgreSQL also now supports new minor versions 9.5.16 and 9.4.21. So lots of options in terms of uh, what you can upgrade to, which may give you features and functions you need. And also speaking about updates, Amazon RDS for Oracle now supports the April Oracle patch set updates and release updates as well. Let's talk networking. The Elastic Fabric Adapter is now generally available. Now this is a low latency network fabric adapter for Amazon EC2 instances. And it was announced as a preview back in November 2018. And what this is really aimed at is customers who run high-performance computing applications who need really high levels of inter-instance communications. So things like computational fluid dynamics, weather modeling, et cetera. And what this does is allows HPC applications that use popular HPC technologies like message passing interface or MPI to scale across to thousands of CPU cores. It uses industry standard LibFabric APIs and is very easy to migrate to with little or no modification. Now, this is available as an optional EC2 networking feature that you can enable on C5N 18XL and P3DN24XL instances at no additional cost. And this capability is available currently in US East Ohio, US East North Virginia, US West Oregon, EU Ireland, and AWS GovCloud. Uh, support for additional instances and regions are going to be added in the coming months. Another networking change that was very exciting for our customers was something called the AWS Transit Gateway. And now you can migrate your AWS site-to-site VPN connections from a virtual private gateway to an AWS Transit Gateway. Now, this means that you don't have to make any changes to your customer gateway. And what this means is you can scale much more easily very, very quickly. Now, this is available in the API or the management console. You're looking for the Modify VPN Connection API. And basically what it does is preserves the endpoint IP addresses on AWS as well as tunnel options like inside tunnel classless into domain routing, pre-shared keys, etc. The VPN will be temporarily unavailable while we provision the new endpoints, but it will then transition into the environment you want. Again, lots more detail in the show notes, but if you're using site-to-site VPN and you wanted to move to AWS Transit Gateway, it is now much easier. We're also now announcing support for AWS Direct Connect for AWS Transit Gateway as well. So now you can connect thousands of Amazon VPCs in multiple AWS regions to their on-premises network using one, two, five, and 10 gig AWS Direct Connect connections. Uh, So this is really useful if you're a Direct Connect user. 
You can now use this again in a certain set of regions, currently North Virginia, Ohio, North California, and Oregon. Uh, support for other regions are coming soon as well. Some additional AWS CloudFront edge locations in India, Japan, and the US. There is a new city within the CloudFront network in Salt Lake City and upgrades to Boston, Seattle, Phoenix, upgrades in uh, Japan, Tokyo, and India, Hyderabad, Bangalore, and Delhi. Essentially, the new CloudFront edge locations enhance the overall performance of serving a web application to your users. And the launch of these six new edge locations in India in particular effectively doubles the CloudFront capacity within that region. And finally, from a networking perspective, Amazon VPC endpoints now support tagging for gateway endpoints, interface endpoints, and endpoint services. So you can get them tagged up, you can use them for cost allocation and just tracking in general. Let's talk analytics and the EMR team have been hard at work. That's the Amazon Elastic MapReduce service. You can now launch an EMR cluster with three master nodes and support high availability of applications like Yarn Resource Manager, HDFS node names, Spark, Hive, and Ganglia. It automatically will fail over to a standby master node if the primary node fails or if critical processes crash. Now that the master node is not a single point of failure, you can run really long-lived EMR clusters without interruption as well. So very, very capable capability. And I know for a lot of customers in the uh, the Hadoop world, the master node is something that's always close to their heart. Uh, it is now supported uh, for many different use cases. You can now also reconfigure applications on running EMR clusters as well. So you don't have to restart the cluster. You can simply use the EMR application reconfiguration capability to modify applications on the fly. It will apply the new, the new configurations, I should say, and gracefully restart the reconfigured application. So this is a really useful way, again, to support those really long-lived jobs. Quick update for Amazon Kinesis Data Analytics. It now lets you apply AWS resource tags to your real-time applications. What this means is you can easily track what's going on in your environment, which is particularly useful if you're spinning up and down your Amazon Kinesis Data Analytics pipelines. Update for AWS Glue. The AWS Glue crawlers now support existing data catalog tables as sources. So previously, they could only use data paths as sources and then they would scan the data and create the new tables for you. Now they can take existing tables as sources and detect changes to their schema and update the table definitions as well and lots of other capabilities. This is really useful if you want to import existing table definitions from an external Apache Hive Metastore into the AWS Glue catalog and keep those up to date, you can now do it. A few IoT-related updates. AWS IoT Analytics now supports faster SQL data set refresh intervals. So in the past, there was a minimum interval of 15 minutes. Now you can customize that down to as low as one minute. So if you need really fast feedback on your IoT analytics capability, you can now get it. AWS IoT Greengrass now has support for Python 3.7, Node 8.10. It also expands support for elliptic curve cryptography. Try and say that three times fast. And this gives customers more options around the devices they build uh, and also the security and the secure messaging between the devices you have on-premises talking to those IoT Greengrass cores that then communicate out into the cloud. Lots of detail into this one that is linked in the show notes, lots of um, interesting updates from a security perspective and also some um, qualification things you can do to qualify your hardware as well. Another update is the free RTOS kernel includes additional pre-configured examples for projects for ARM V8-M microcontrollers. So this helps you understand how this might work on a variety of different platforms. Often having examples is good, so now you have more examples to work from. If you have IoT devices out there in the wild, you need to protect them. And AWS IoT Device Defender now supports monitoring behavior of unregistered devices. In the past, you had to register every device you were going to monitor. Now you can also support the identification of unusual behavior for devices that are not registered with the AWS IT Core registry. 
essentially create a new profile that is targeted at unregistered devices and it can then start to monitor anomalies in that environment. Really, really powerful so you can cover more endpoints more easily. And AWS IT Analytics now also supports data set content delivery to Amazon S3. So you can set your results into the Amazon S3 bucket within your account. This means you can do further processing. You can feed it into a glue table, for example, to do some Athena queries or a whole bunch of other stuff that, of course, once data is in S3, you have lots and lots of options available to you. Now it's time to talk end user computing. And Amazon AppStream 2.0 now has configurable timeouts for idle sessions. So you can choose how long a uh, session can be idle before it's disconnected. With this feature, you can automatically disconnect an idle user after a configurable period of time, which means that your streaming instances are being actively used because you don't have waste in your environment. If you're using Amazon Workmail in your organization, you can now use CloudWatch metrics to get more updates about whether your emails are being sent, received or bounced, etc. So this gives you more insight into what's happening from an email performance perspective. And an update for Amazon Chime, you can now use custom chatbots in your chat room. So you can use the power of Amazon Lex, AWS Lambda and other services to build custom conversational interfaces that streamline your workflow, can avoid context switching, etc. Lots and lots of power about how this can be used. And basically you can interact with the bot through at mentions, etc. Let's talk machine learning. And great news for developers who want to be involved in the AWS Deep Racer League. We have now launched the Virtual League. So developers of all skill levels can join it from anywhere in the world via the AWS Deep Racer console. So you can put your skills to the test and you can, you can compete in a virtual circuit world tour. And the major prize is an expenses paid trip to the AWS Deep Racer Champion Cup at reInvent in 2019. So this is a really good way to learn about reinforcement learning and machine learning in a practical sense. What this helps is learn techniques that you can apply in your work, but you can do it in a lot of fun way using these virtual car races. Now, in the past, you've used the physical deep racer uh, device or, or car, mini car, to do the race. And we did that at Sydney Summit recently, and we'll do that at a lot of places around the world. But if you can't physically get to a location, you can now participate virtually as well. So take a look at that and get involved. A couple of updates for Amazon SageMaker. There are some new features in the built-in object to VEC algorithm. It now supports uh, automatically sampling training data that are unlikely to be observed and labels them as negative. So this removes the fact that you have to do negative sampling, which is an important way to speed up. Also, it now supports a new sparse gradient that speeds up single GPU training by up to two times without loss of perf in performance. And in addition, the training speed can be accelerated up to 20 times using multiple GPUs. So basically, you can get answers very, very quickly. Amazon SageMaker Ground Truth now also supports automatic email notifications for manual data labeling. So what this means is now you can uh, get email notifications when creating a work team and while editing a work team as well so you can see what's going on. What this means is that uh, labels are notified directly rather than having to proactively look for jobs. You can tell them work is available. Some additional support for languages in Amazon Translate, which is a fully managed neural network-based machine translation service. We are now supporting Hindi, Farsi, Malay and Norwegian as well. And Amazon Transcribe, which is an automatic speech recognition service, now supports Hindi and Indian accented English. So Amazon Transcribe now supports uh, US English, British English, Australian English, g'day mate, French, Canadian French, US Spanish, ES Spanish, Italian, Brazilian, Portuguese, German, Korean, Hindi, and Indian accented English. Change to Amazon Comprehend. So Amazon Comprehend batch jobs now support VPC. Uh, this is a natural language processing service that lets you discover insights and relationships in text. Now you can run this uh, within your VPC as well. 
And the last update on the machine learning front is there are some updates in the AWS Deep Learning AMIs. You now have access to PyTorch 1.1, Chainer 5.4, and CUDA 10 support for MXNet as well. So even more options to run up in your machine learning AMI. Let's talk application integration. Amazon MQ now supports resource level and tag-based permissions. So you can get far more granular in how you control access to your Amazon MQ service. Another quick update, Amazon SNS now has support for cost allocation tags. So you can include that in your overall billing console and understand any contribution it makes to an overall cost of running an application. Some handy updates in the world of management and governance. There are now reservation expiration alerts available in the AWS Cost Explorer. So reservations, which are also called reserved instances, uh, offer a discounted hourly rate compared to your on-demand resource usage. Now the AWS Cost Explorer will now track your reservation expiration times and it'll give you an alert 60 days out, 30 days out, or seven days out, depending on what you want. And you can send this to up to 10 email recipients. So this means you can have a forward-looking view of what's gonna be running out uh, over time for your reserved instances. An update to AWS Systems Manager Patch Manager and now supports Microsoft application patching. So this means you can automatically patch across your EC2 or on-premises instances as well. And what this means is that you're bringing the tooling together. So you can basically bring Microsoft application patching to the same AWS Systems Manager solution that you use today to patch Microsoft Windows, saving time and simplifying your batch processes as well. An update to AWS OpsWorks for Chef Automate. It now supports Chef Automate 2, which is an upgrade that makes it much easier to explore the state of your infrastructure and has a, a greater emphasis on compliance features than its predecessor. It's also been re-architected using a Go-based microservice architecture. It has an enhanced web UI, so it's got a streaming event feed as well, trend graphs, rich query language. It's the newest and coolest, so it is now available for you. And there's also a new AWS Service Catalog Connector for ServiceNow that supports CloudFormation stack sets and change sets. What this means is that you can now provision your AWS Service Catalog products across accounts and regions from the ServiceNow platform. And you can take advantage of these new capabilities that are more advanced within the CloudFormation service. Let's talk migration. You can now use the AWS Migration Hub to generate right-sized EC2 instances for running on-premises workloads in AWS. So what this helps you do is analyze data collected from each on-premises server, including the server specification, the CPU, the memory utilization, et cetera, and it'll recommend the least expensive EC2 instance required to run that workload on AWS. Now you can of course fine tune the recommendations by specifying any preferences that you have. Uh, so you may choose the particular purchasing option, region, any EC2 instance type exclusions, uh, and you can use the CPU and RAM utilization metric you want to use as well. So it could be average, peak, percentile, et cetera. Uh, this makes it much easier to go through and kind of do an audit of what you've got and what you're going to need and also helps you do pricing very, very quickly and figure out your total cost of ownership and how much money you could save by doing a migration. A few security updates to share with you. Amazon Guard Duty now adds two new threat detections. So it now has 54 active finding types. This is a great solution that you should always turn on. Uh, there is a 30-day free trial of Amazon Guard Duty, which uh, you can turn on with a single click and you'd be surprised what you discover. A change to the AWS Security Token Service or STS. It now supports enabling the global STS endpoint to issue session tokens compatible with all AWS regions. So when you use IAM roles to access AWS, you request session tokens from an STS endpoint. Now, session tokens from regional STN endpoints are valid in all regions. Now, we recommend using regional endpoints because session tokens from the global STS endpoint are valid only in the AWS regions that are enabled by default. Now, the nuance here is starting with the Hong Kong region, new AWS regions are not enabled by default in your AWS account. 
So if you intend to use the global STS endpoint with new AWS regions for your account, you need to configure the global STS endpoint to issue tokens that are valid in all AWS regions in the IAM console. Uh, these tokens are bigger in size and match the session tokens issued by regional STS endpoints. There's lots more information about using session tokens in regions, link in the show notes, but something to be aware of. There's been an update to AWS WAF Security Automations, which is a solution that automatically deploys a single web access control list with a set of AWS WAF rules to filter common web-based attacks. Uh, the updated solution now supports log analytics using Amazon Athena and AWS WAF full logs, and this gives you lots more information than you had before. Handy update to the AWS Certificate Manager Private Certification Authority. The certificate limit has now been increased from 50,000 to 1 million. That's a big jump. And this is intended for organizations doing large-scale certificate deployment to IT, endpoints and devices, etc. Amazon Cognito has launched an enhanced user password reset API for administrators. This is the admin set user password capability. And this is a way for administrators to set temporary or permanent passwords for their end users. And this functionality is available for end users even when their verified phone or email are unavailable. So this is useful for that situation where your user is just stuck. You can help them get unstuck. Some updates to AWS Secrets Manager. It now supports more client-side caching libraries to improve secrets availability and to reduce costs as well. So now you can use Secrets Manager client-side caching libraries in Python, .NET and Go. And what this will do is improve your performance and means that the cache is used primarily and it updates itself from Secrets Manager when it needs to. So this reduces the number of API requests you'll make to Secrets Manager and improve the overall performance. And finally, you can now make fine-grained session permissions using IAM managed policies. And this relates to STS, which we spoke about before. It now lets you specify IAM managed policies as session policies to create very fine-grained session permissions when a user assumes a role in AWS to create a session. So now you can have up to 10 full-size policies to choose from that enable you to define more fine-grained permissions. Again, useful for very specific use cases. Lots of great information in the documentation linked in the show notes. An update for training and certification. There is a new VMware Cloud on AWS Navigate Track. And what this does is allow you to have a seamlessly integrated hybrid cloud solution that extends your on-premises VMware environment to AWS Elastic bare metal infrastructure that's fully integrated as part of the AWS cloud. Uh, the VMware cloud on AWS Navigate Track lets you have a prescriptive journey for APM partners who want to build their expertise in supporting AWS customers who are moving in this way. So this is a really useful thing for partners. Quick update in the land of blockchain. We now have announced general availability of Amazon Managed Blockchain. This is a fully managed service that makes it easy to create and manage scalable blockchain networks using the popular open source frameworks Hyperledger Fabric and Ethereum. Hyperledger Fabric is available today and Ethereum is coming soon. Now the Amazon Managed Blockchain is a fully managed service that lets you set these up and manage them in a scalable way in just a few clicks. Uh, makes it very easy for you to manage and maintain it. It ma manages the certificates, lets you invite new members, etc. It also lets you run it on a range of different instances with different combinations of compute and memory that makes sense for different types of applications. And the lucky last update today is a quick start. This is a new quick start which deploys SAP S4 HANA on AWS. It will actually deploy it in about one and a half to two and a half hours. So this is really useful for SAP architects, system administrators, tech professionals, etc., who are looking at this. This quick start will let you deploy a S4 HANA system cluster that includes a HANA database, a SAP central services server, and a primary application server into a new VPC. 
with or without installing the SAP software. So you can choose to just do the underpinnings or the overall stuff. And you can also choose whether to include an additional application server, whether you use EFS or NFS, lots of choices, but this quick start really makes things easy. It still makes me very happy to see us be able to deploy large-scale enterprise applications like this in a morning versus six months. So a big change, which is really great for customers. So check that quick start out if you're doing SAP work. So that is all the updates. I hope there was something in there for you. As ever, we do love to get your feedback. AWS podcast at amazon.com. And until next time, keep on building.